Psalm 112. Let us hear God's word. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be an everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. He is dispersed abroad. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be exalted with honor. The wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. <clears throat> Amen. Well, as we begin here today, uh, I want you again <laughs> to think of the things you're thankful for. I'm sure uh, we've had some conversations or at least thoughts in that way in the last few days. Think of the blessings that God has given to us maybe in the last year or the last few days or even things that happened many years ago. Uh, think of these things that you have received. And uh, part of that, of course, is because God is good and he is gracious. But part of that also is because we seek to obey him. And it's that point that now occupies us here in Psalm 112. That the blessings that we receive, in part, are because of our faithfulness. So with this in mind, let's again take a few minutes to look at the big picture, to look at the overall point. Let's step backward here and, and see the overall point here of the Psalms and in Book 5. And, and uh, I've done this every time we've started a new psalm, and so here we're doing it again. And, and Palmer Robertson helps us in this way, and so, of course, I've had this handout for us. So, again, just briefly reviewing this, um, we have the five books in the Psalter, and Book 1 is about David being established in Zion, and yet he's facing all kinds of opposition. There are other themes, but that's the overall theme. In book two, David is still facing opposition, but he is more established. It ends on this great high note in Psalm 72. There's also this outward focus to the nations. In book three, though, we see the failure of Israel, the failure of the monarchy and the priesthood, and they go into exile. In book four, they're in exile, but God is teaching them what is most important now that all the outward things are away from them, and they're away from the, those things. And so then in book five, after book four ends with praise, we transition to book five that is in many ways all about praise, as we have seen. And so they are back in the promised land. There is more of a focus on the Messiah to come. And so we see several sections of praise. And so we have uh, certainly seen that in these uh, opening psalms of book five. So as you, if you turn the page over to the diagram of Book 5, we started, of course, with Psalm 107. And uh, this is uh, the, the return from exile with the praise refrain. Remember, four times we see that praise refrain. Um, and then we see three psalms of David. And we saw most recently Psalm 110, this 
very important messianic psalm. And now we're in this section of Psalms 111 to 117, the Hallel Psalms. And it's the second grouping. Psalms 104 to 106 is the first. Here's the second one. And uh, it's arranged in a kind of pyramid. The central psalm is Psalm 114, focusing on the Exodus. And then you have three on either side. And all of them are uh, focusing on praise because they all include the word hallelujah at least once. Okay. The other thing that we see are the acrostic psalms. And that, of course, has been what we've looked at in Psalm 111, and now here again in Psalm 112. And so all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet are used, one in each successive line. And so Psalm 112 is just like Psalm 111 in that way. They both begin with hallelujah. They both have eight verses of two lines apiece, and then they end with two verses of three lines apiece. So you can get all 22 letters. Uh, Every line has three words or four words in the Hebrew, except for one. And that's what we're going to begin with here in Psalm 112, verse 1. The first line has five words. So it stands out a bit, you might say. Now, because these psalms are so similar, uh, many people think that it was written by the same author. And that is likely the case. Uh, Most likely it was written after the exile. In fact, the Vulgate, right, the Latin translation of the Hebrew and Greek, they actually say that Haggai and Zechariah wrote these two psalms. Now, we don't know for sure if that's true, but that's what we see there. So, after the exile, we see then in Psalm 111 that God has not changed. Now, again, we're sitting here in in, in comfortable place and so forth, but can you imagine being stolen from your home, many people you know die, and you're taken to a faraway place for 70 years roughly, and then you come back, and you might wonder, has God changed? Well, Psalm 111 says, no, he hasn't. He is still the same God, and his ways are still the same. What he did in the Exodus some 900 years before is still relevant for us today. And so God has not changed. And the same, of course, is true for us. We're now that many more years later, and 2,000 years after Christ, God has not changed for us either. And so he is still worthy of our praise. So as we transition from those ideas to Psalm 112, we now move from not uh, the one who uh, we should fear and praise, but now the one who fears Yahweh. You see the difference. It's not focus on God, it's a focus on the godly. So we ended in Psalm 111, verse 10, with the person who fears God, and now the whole of Psalm 112 uh, speaks to that. All right, so let's look then at our handout of Psalm 112, and if you look at the back side here with some of the outlines, again, this is your big picture. This is your forest. This is the, the, uh, the grand thought, if you will. And um, you'll notice some of these different outlines, and I like the first one because it tells you verse 1 is the theme, and verse 10 is the contrast, and then everything in between are some of the blessings we receive. I think that's a nice way of summarizing this psalm. Now, if you look at the fourth one with all these A, B, C sections here, this one is helpful because it's much more detailed. And so the A sections are the contrast, the B sections are the ideal And the C section, you might say, is the dose of reality. And so today, we're going to look at A, B, and C, verses 1 to 4. 
So we'll see each one of those. All right, now, again, I encourage you to take this home, read the psalm, look at this more clearly, uh, carefully, I should say. We, we just don't have time to do a lot of that here to, together. Look also, then, at the statistics. Just like Psalm 111, the only name of God that is used in this psalm is Yahweh. And only four times when you include Yah and the pronoun, compared to Psalm 111, where we had 24 of them. So again, you see a focus on God in the last psalm, a focus, yes, God, but not focusing on God here in this one. In Psalm 111, there was the first singular once plus another assumed one. Here, we don't have any of that. Instead, we have the third person focused on. So the the one who fears and all the pronouns and such, 22 different times. So again, just a little bit of detective work, and you can see clearly an emphasis here for us. All right, well, I've taken here maybe seven or eight minutes to look at the forest. So when we now turn to look at the trees, we won't get lost. And so let's do so. Let's turn to verse 1. Here on the other side, again, using my translation here, and it starts, like Psalm 111, with hallelujah, praise, Yah. Notice there's no title, so that doesn't help us, but again, the Vulgate may be right here. Haggai or Zechariah, but it begins here, like Psalm 111, with hallelujah. Now, I spent some extra time developing that thought in Psalm 111. Let me now just summarize it here. You recall that 31 times altogether in all the Bible, we see this term hallelujah, or hallelujahweh, and only four times in the New Testament, all in Revelation chapter 19. The first time we see it in the Bible is in Psalm 104. So what this tells us is that though we tend to use the term hallelujah rather casually, the Bible does not. The Bible uses it as, you might say, more of a technical term. So something that would be similar for us today would be the idea of doxology. And so we use this in a technical way in our service. We have two of them. We just sang one of them after the offertory, and we'll sing the other one at the end of the service. And this is more consistent with the idea of hallelujah. We are praising Yahweh. Now again, notice this is a command. This is not a suggestion or a good idea. This is a command. We must praise Yahweh. All people must do this, but especially God's people. We must worship him. Again, this has been the theme of Book 5, Psalm 107, Psalm 108, Psalm 111, and now here. We must improve our worship, and that command is given to us here again. And so all the things that I've said over the previous weeks, we see here as well. Also, just briefly, again, note we have the short name of Yahweh. It's just Yah here, but it's referring to Yahweh. So again, we're praising our covenant Lord, our sovereign The one who exists, our master, yes, but the one who has entered into relationship with us. This is the one we praise. And again, this is the only name used here in this psalm. All right, so a brief review in that way. Now, what are we going to praise Yahweh for here in this psalm? The last one's pretty easy, right? We're talking about God and his ways and so on. What about here? (coughs) Well, if you look at the first line, 
uh, here in verse 1, and let's read the rest of verse 1 here. Blessed is the afraid of Yahweh man. Obviously, your translation smooths that out. Uh, in his commandments, he delighted exceedingly. All right. Now, as I've said, let me say again, this is an acrostic. So the first line is the first Hebrew letter. The second line is the second Hebrew letter and all the way down through. And so the first one is Aleph. You see it in bigger font all the way to the right. And we translate this word blessed. Okay, blessed. Let's turn a moment to Psalm 1. Because Psalm 112 is, you might say, a longer version of Psalm 1, saying very similar things. So in Psalm 1, first three verses, remember these words, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither. And whatever he does shall prosper. Well, those ideas now are found here in Psalm 112. There it says, blessed is the man who does not walk in evil, but walks in goodness, delighting in God's law. Well, that person is blessed. Now here in Psalm 112, verse 1, the one who fears Yahweh is blessed. They're not saying different things, just a different way of saying the same basic thing. Now, as for the word bless or blessed here, uh, you might remember from Psalm 1, there are two key Hebrew terms. The one clearly emphasizes the covenant. All the blessings we receive are because of God's covenant relationship with us. The other one emphasizes the emotion that goes along with that, and that's the word we have here. And so hence, some will translate this word as happy. Okay? And so as you put this idea together, because of God's covenant blessings toward us, and now because we fear the Lord, there are blessings, and this makes us happy. This makes us joyful. And so blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. That idea is what we have. All right, now, as for the word fear, it's a word we see many times in the scriptures. What does it mean? Well, there are three components to it. And so the first one is this. The person who fears God has a sense of awe regarding the greatness of God. Okay. So let me say this then. It does not mean we're afraid. The unbeliever is afraid of Yahweh. But the true believer is not. The only person who can fear Yahweh in this way is the true believer. Because all unbelievers are afraid. But the true believer has a sense of awe. You might say it's a wow factor. Okay? We have this amazement because of who God is. Because of his greatness. And this then leads to the second idea, which is reverence. We are awed by him, and then we revere him, we respect him, we, we are humble before him. And so this leads then to worship, to praise, 
to thanksgiving, to glorify him, to adore him, to exalt him, and all these things. Again, an unbeliever can't do that. They're afraid of God. But a true believer has awe for God, and therefore we revere him. Now, the third element of this word, then, is that that awe, that reverence, leads us to obey God. Okay? The one who fears God obeys him. We are awe of him, we revere him, and so we now are very willing and desirous of doing what he says. And one commentator said, we have an active pursuit of godliness. We have come before God, we are awed by him, and so we want to pursue godliness. Now again, no sinner can do this. No unbeliever can do this. Only one who has been given a new heart. But even those of us who have a regenerate heart, there's still that part of us that resists fully giving ourselves to the Lord. Hence all these commands to fear God and so forth. Have you ever come in through these doors to worship God and given yourself in every single possible way, mind, will, and emotion, and worship to God? I haven't. I'm sure you haven't either. Now, maybe we have for a brief moment or in a certain way, but we fall so far short of God's glory in this way. Even those who are regenerate. Have you ever obeyed God without any reservation? I think all of us can say, no, that's not true. The question is, Are we aware of it and how that is the case? And so all these calls to worship in Psalm 107, Psalm 108, Psalm 111, and now here in Psalm 112, we must heed it with our whole hearts. The one who fears Yahweh, has this awe, has this reverence, is going to obey him by worshiping him with everything that he has. And when he does, there is blessing. But even when we fall short of that, God graciously blesses us too. And so, this is why we need Christ. Because he worshipped without any hesitation. He obeyed without any qualifications, any hedging, any kind of these things that we tend to do. Jesus never did that. He obeyed perfectly. In every single way. And that's just so beyond our comprehension. But this is why we need him. To obey for us. And yet as God's people. This is the command. This is what we should do. We should fear our Lord. In this way. And so we strive in every way. To revere him. To obey him. And so forth. Okay. All right, so when we do, then, the focus of the psalm is we receive blessings. We receive the blessings of the covenant of grace, and it makes us happy. Okay? It gives us joy. Now, in Psalm 111, verse 10, remember we saw here last week, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Well, now, the fear of the Lord brings blessings. 
So you see how it goes together and now expands. So let's, let's turn briefly to a couple other passages here, three actually. If you turn to Proverbs chapter 1, this may be the most familiar verse for us in this way. Proverbs 1 verse 7. <clears throat> the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see the antithetic proverb here? Okay, so this contrast. Those who fear God have knowledge. Those who don't are fools. If you turn over to chapter 9, verse 10, this one is, if you will, completely positive. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, now one more. Let's turn back before the Psalms now to Job chapter 28. There are some other ones that speak very similarly here, but uh, these three are uh, the closest. So Job 28, the last verse in the chapter, verse 28, And to man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. Okay, um, that's the point of Psalm 111, verse 10. Now, Psalm 112, verse 1 is, there are blessings that come with that. Not only do we have understanding, not only do we have wisdom, but we have blessings. All right, now let's look at the second line in verse 1 here, Psalm 112. This begins with the Hebrew letter bait. Again, you see how it's a little bit bigger there for you to look at. This is the B sound, and we translate it as in, in his commandments, he delighted exceedingly. All right, now, notice how the verb is past tense there, completed action. And in this case, it suggests to us that it's a all-the-time idea that not only has he delighted, but he is and he will. Seems to be the, the implication as you read the rest of the psalm. And so the idea is that we delight in God's law all the time. And then note the adverb here, we do it exceedingly, greatly, very much. Not just on occasion, not just when we feel like it, not just once a week even. Okay. All right, now let me pause and say this. You might remember when we were in Psalm 111, I said that there are many similarities with Psalm 112, and I've brought out some of that already today. Let me do some more. There are about a dozen times, depending on how you take some things, but about a dozen times that Psalm 112 uses the same language as Psalm 111. We've already seen hallelujah. We've already seen the name Yahweh. We've already seen fear. Well, now we see the word delight. We see it here in verse two, uh, the second line in verse 1, and it's found in Psalm 111, verse 2. New King James translates it as uh, have pleasure. It's the same word, to take delight in, to have pleasure, to enjoy. So in Psalm 11, recall, I used the first catechism, right, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And so here's the same idea. Now, again, it's okay for us to enjoy things in this life as long as they are not sinful in and of themselves. But the godly person delights in God more, Psalm 111, and the godly person delights in God's law, Psalm 112, verse 1. Now, we already had this idea, generally speaking, 
in Psalm 111, verses 7 and 8, God's law is reliable, it's unshakable, it is truth. And so here now, we delight in the law of God. Now, some of us grew up in a church context that said that the law of God is bad. We don't need the Old Testament anymore. The law of Moses is, is over with, and you know, to, to, to love the law is to be a legalist or something like that. Well, how does that fit with this verse? How does it fit with Psalm 119? Let's turn there just a moment. Psalm 119, if you look at verse 35, here's the verb. Verse 35 says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Now there's another word for, uh, for delight, and that's used five times in Psalm 119. Look at verse 24, here's one of them. Your testimonies also are my delight and my counselors. Well, if the law is so bad, then how can we delight in it? How can we be commanded to delight in it? So it's not that the law is bad. It's just that we are bad and we tend to use the law wrongly. (laughs) The law was never intended to save us. But once we're saved and redeemed, then we keep the law of God. We delight in it. We serve our God. We fear him. So again, this is not work salvation in any way. Unbelievers hate God's law. There's no way we can earn our way to heaven because we turn away from God's law. Only true believers can delight in the law of God. So if we do not delight in God's law, we have to ask if we're a Christian at all. Now maybe it's because we've been misinformed about God's law. Think of what Paul says in Romans 7. There's this debate. Is Paul talking about himself before he's a Christian or not and such? I think it has to be after he was saved. Because how else can he delight in God's law? Of course, much, much to say here. But do you see the point? Those who fear Yahweh are blessed. Those who delight in his law are blessed. And not just delight a little bit, exceedingly so, all the time. This brings blessing for the people of God. So, the question is simple, isn't it? Do you fear the Lord? Now, don't just give the right answer. Do you fear the Lord? Do you have awe for him, reverence? Are you seeking to obey him? Do you delight in his law? Do you want to be in it, reading it, studying it, memorizing it? If so, then God's going to bless you. If not, all right, now verse 1 is our theme. So I've spent extra time on it here. So let's look now at verse 2. Mighty in the land will be a seed. The generation of the upright ones will be blessed. All right, so again, like we saw in Psalm 111, there are two lines per verse in verses 1 to 8. So we have two lines here. They have either four words or three words, but we had five words in verse 1, so it stands out for us. But here it's back to the normal pattern. And the first letter of the first line here in verse 2 is gimel, so it's a G sound, and we translate it as mighty. Mighty in the land will be his seed. 
All right. So the, notice then that the descendants of the person who fears God, his children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, his descendants will be mighty. Now, the term mighty can refer to someone who is strong and powerful. You might say a warrior or even a hero. Think of David's mighty men. But it's also used of Boaz, and there's no indication that he was a great warrior, but he certainly was mighty in his righteousness, and he had lots of things and so forth, so he is mighty in that way too. The point here simply is that our descendants will be successful, people of influence, people of good reputation. And so if we fear God and delight in his law, this is one of the blessings that God will give to us. Now, in the second line here, verse 2, it's very similar. The generation of the upright ones will be blessed. This is your fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the the D sound, the Dalit here. Um, I've mentioned before that when it comes to acrostics, we tend not to have parallelism. Uh, Some have argued that this is parallel, and maybe so. Um, so is seed and generation to be equated, or is there a difference? There's some debate on all that. But the overall point is clear, isn't it? That whether it's the current generation or subsequent generations, there are blessings. And even the, uh, not just is the, the righteous man blessed, but then his children, his family is blessed, are blessed too. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, this word for blessed is the other Hebrew word. This is the one that emphasizes the covenant, the blessings of the covenant. The one in verse 1, remember, emphasizes emotion, happiness, joy. And so, the generation of the upright ones will be blessed with the blessings of the covenant is the idea here. And so what we see in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, for example. Now, as for the word upright, here's another word used in Psalm 111. We saw it in verses 1 and 8 in Psalm 111. Here now it's used in verse 2, and we'll see it again in verse 4. So what does it mean to be upright? Well, simply it means to be straight, to be plumb, to be level even, to be right, to be correct. It also even has the idea of being sincere and honest just and righteous, or just simply godly. And so upright ones will be blessed, and so will the generation of upright ones. So again, it's not just focusing on the individual, but even the family. And so notice then that this is not talking about the occasional obedience This is not just talking about delighting in God's law every now and again. This is talking about a way of life, that we are characterized by uprightness. We are characterized by fearing God and delighting in his law. And when we do, there are blessings for us and for our families. Which brings us then to verse 3. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness is standing forever. Again, two lines. Both lines have three words apiece. The first one begins with the next Hebrew letter, hey. We translate it as wealth. So wealth and riches are in his house. 
obviously this is a verse used by the health and wealth people, Joel Osteen and so forth. Hey, um, but, but what do we mean here? Well, first of all, uh, in regard to wealth, this can mean monetary wealth. It can mean possessions in general, like maybe property or something like that. It can even refer to wealth in more um, relational or spiritual ways, but especially it's referring to things, things that we have. Now, in regard to the house, wealth and riches are in his house. We're not just talking about a building, a structure. We're not just talking about stacks of gold or silver sitting in, in a safe or something to that effect. But the house includes the people there, too. And so wealth and riches are in the house, even with the wife, with children. There is wealth. There are blessings in this way. Now, in that day, and even in parts of the world today, um, most families live together for multiple generations. We tend to live with one generation, right? The nuclear family, as we call it. But it tended to be that there were three or even four generations that lived together. So it's not just the husband and wife and children, but even parents and grandparents or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, even aunts and uncles and cousins, sometimes they would all uh, live together. And the idea here then is, if we are fearing God, this is one of the blessings. Blessings of wealth. Blessings of riches. One commentator put it this way. A pious man typically yields hardworking children, and so you tend to have more money. There's a lot of truth to that. When we are godly, we tend to raise our children to work hard. And hard work usually results in more money. And so uh, this is the idea, generally here, uh, generally speaking. So notice then, <clears throat> let's go back to the very beginning. We praise Yahweh for this, right? We don't just toot our own horn, look how great I am. No, no, no. We, we praise Yahweh when he gives us blessings for fearing him and obeying him. All right, now in the next line. This one begins with the next Hebrew letter, wow, or the modern Hebrew would pronounce it vav, uh, so W or V sound, and we translate it as and, so and his righteousness is standing forever. And so the man who fears Yahweh is righteous, and that endures continuously. He always lives according to what is right. To be righteous means that you have right behavior, obviously, according to God's law. Um, Maybe the best way of summarizing the term righteous is someone who obeys the covenant. Those who keep the commands of the covenant. That person is righteous. That person is just. He is blameless, honest, godly, reliable. There are other ways we can translate the word, but simply, we obey God, right? Now notice this, not only do we have a connection with Psalm 111, but it's exactly the same. Look at Psalm 111 verse 3, New King James says his righteousness endures forever. This is referring to God. Now here in Psalm 112 verse 3, his righteousness endures forever. It's exactly the same in the Hebrew. Okay. So do you see the point? Those who fear God act like God. Those who love God act like him. And when we do, 
we receive blessings. We receive them temporally as well as eternally. We receive them physically, relationally, spiritually. Now, let me pause here just a moment. Who do you think of in the scripture that this would describe? I thought immediately of Abraham. Don't you see these verses applied in Abraham's life? Here's a man who feared God. He left his family, came to Canaan, and God blessed him in all kinds of ways. He was easily a multimillionaire in our day, maybe even tens or hundreds of millions of dollars. God blessed him. Uh, I also thought of Job. He was blessed many, many ways because he feared the Lord. Okay? I'm sure you can think of some other people. Well, with Job in mind now, let's look at verse 4. A light arose in the darkness for the upright ones, gracious and compassionate and righteous. All right, again, two more lines with four words and three words. So it's continuing the pattern. And here in verse 4, the next Hebrew letter is Zion's. That's a Z sound. In English, obviously, we put it at the end of the alphabet. In Hebrew here, it's letter number 7. Um, but... Uh, we translate the word, actually, it's, it's arose, or to rise up. So a light arose in the darkness for the upright ones. All right, now let's think of it like this. <clears throat> Were you discouraged in verses 2 and 3? Did you think, well, <clears throat> my children are not very mighty. What's the matter? I don't have many riches, you know, especially in this Biden economy. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. You know, the ideal in verses 2 and 3 sometimes can be discouraging because God blesses us, but it isn't necessarily all of us turn out to be as wealthy as Abraham. But notice how verse 4 gives us, you might say, a little bit of hope. A light arose in the darkness for the upright one. It's not that those who are upright have no darkness, have no problems, have no adversity. We still have it. But where our hope is, the blessing, is that God gives us a light in the midst of it. So you see that, that blessings are mixed in, with hardships in this life. And so you might say this line gives us a dose of reality. Even upright ones can be in darkness. Even those who are striving to obey God, to fear him, to delight in his word, those who are trying to stay on the path of righteousness and not the path of wickedness, sometimes we end up in darkness anyway. Not because we've sinned, but we live in a sinful world and that's just part of life. We face challenges. We face adversity. But remember also what we saw in book 4, Psalms 90 and 91. Those two psalms remind us that no matter how good we are, we are not perfect. We are all sinners, and all the sufferings that we face, in many ways, are deserved. Because we do not perfectly obey our God. And so he gives us these hardships to draw us back to himself. So even upright ones end up in darkness because we do not do anything perfectly, even the best things that we do. But the point of the verse here is God still sends us a light. That's the blessing. 
So expect hardships in life, but also expect God to help us when we are striving to fear him, when we are striving to do what he says. Okay? That light may come right away, may take years, but at some point God will send us a light to help us in our darkness. So maybe you think of the time of Israel during the time of the judges. Their sin led to lots of hardships, but God would send them a light, a judge, a savior to bring them back. Now, we certainly wouldn't speak ultimately here. We're all in darkness, and God sent Jesus as the light of the world. But again, that's not really the focus here. We're talking about those who fear God. And so the emphasis here is on the true believer. And God sends us a light. Sometimes that's in the form of a person, maybe a friend or a spouse. Sometimes that's in an, a, a particular event in life where God sends something to encourage us in this way. Uh, maybe it's something you hear at church. Maybe it's when you're reading scripture at home. But God sends us, yes, Christ ultimately and his spirit, but he even sends these other things as a blessing in the midst of our darkness. So you remember what Paul says in Romans 8, 28, God works all things out for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. That's the idea. God sends a light even in the midst of our hardships. And so, hallelujah, praise him. All right, now the last line here we'll look at today is the second line in verse 4. Gracious and compassionate and righteous. This begins with the Hebrew letter het here. These are three key terms. And uh, so let me briefly define them here. To be gracious is one who shows favor, who is loving, who is generous, who is friendly. The word compassion means to be caring or kind. In fact, it, it's uh, connected with the Hebrew word for womb. So the womb of a mother, okay, that compassion, that's the idea. God cares for us that way, right? And then you have the word righteous. We've already talked about this. The one who keeps the law, keeps the covenant, who is innocent and guilty, guilty, guiltless, I should say, according to the law. Now the question for us is, how should we understand these adjectives? They're just sitting there. The New King James adds, he is, in that line, in italics, but that doesn't help us very much either. <laughs> Who are we talking about? Well, upright ones is plural, right? Light is singular, and so some people have taken it to mean that it's referring to God, who is the light. He, God, is gracious, compassionate, and righteous. And certainly that's true. Okay? Look back at Psalm 111. Look at verse 4. Yahweh is gracious and full of compassion. So, of course, that's true. But I would agree with, at least in my exposure here, to the majority of commentators that would say, no, it's actually referring to the upright one in the singular. Because remember, all the way back in verse 1, we're talking about the man who is afraid of Yahweh, his seed, verse 3, his house, his righteousness. So that continues here in this way. And so each individual upright one is like God. God who is gracious and compassionate and righteous, so too the godly person is gracious, righteous, and compassionate. Okay. And so because of that, in part, God sends us a light 
in the midst of our darkness. So you might remember when we looked at verse 4 in Psalm 111, I had us turn to Exodus 34, the summary of God's character. Maybe now we can turn to Galatians 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. This is a summary of our character as godly people. And when we live this way, there are blessings. There are blessings. And so the godly man, the godly woman is like God. Even in the darkness, we act like God. So as we try to pull all this together then, our basic point is, hey, fear the Lord, delight in his word, act like God, and there will be blessings. That doesn't mean there won't be darkness. That doesn't mean everything will be perfect and we'll just have millions and millions of dollars, but it does mean that God will bless us by his grace and through Christ. So Psalm 111 basically is asking the question, are you praising Yahweh for who he is and what he has done? Psalm 112 is now basically asking the question, are you fearing Yahweh, delighting in his law, acting like him? God's people must do so, and when we do, there are blessings. Prosperity, influence, godly children, earthly blessings, eternal blessings, and so forth. And so because of this, praise Yahweh for it. All right. Well, we'll stop here in the middle of things, and we'll look at the rest of the psalm, Lord willing, next time. Let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for what you teach us. And we thank you, Lord, that you are the God that you are, and that you have done the works that you have done but we are also thankful lord that because of this redemption this work of redemption that you have accomplished for us your people that we are now able to live a life of godliness and fear and so lord we do ask then that you would help us to live up to this that you would help us to delight in your your word you would help us to um, fear you You would help us to act like you, not just so that we can get something, but to honor you. But we are thankful, Lord, that you do bless us as we seek to obey you. You're you're not like that person who just doesn't care when we try to do what is right, and maybe the child or something is trying to get our attention and we just ignore them. We are thankful, Lord, that you do give us a reward We're seeking to serve you. And so, Lord, may we not just do it for the reward, but may we do it to honor you. But again, we are thankful for those blessings. And so, Lord, we pray that you would work in us, in our imperfection, in our sin, and that we might, as we heard from Psalm 106 earlier, that we might live righteously at all times, that your name would be glorified in it all. And so we pray all these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.